Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning. This is Matthew 12, 38 through 50. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation." While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. morning. So uh, last Tuesday, my wife uh, retired from teaching. Uh, 114 years as a teacher, and now she's retired. So when you see her, she's out with the kids. Please congratulate her. And uh, she retired on Tuesday, and the next day we immediately went to Maine and went on a little vacation. So I'm still in vacation mode. We got back uh, Friday night, but I still feel like I'm on vacation mode. And uh, happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. Luke Clark, first time father. Congratulations to you. So my name is Eric, as you heard a, a few times, and um, I'm one of the leaders here at, um, at New King. And uh, you get to hear me preach maybe once a month, maybe once every five, six weeks, something like that. That's the rotation that I'm on. And uh, my normal style of preaching, just so that you know if you haven't been here, is I tend to stick with the passage that's assigned to me. I rarely go outside that. That's how I tend, I really tend to focus. Today, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to take a chance because I am going to go deep in the scriptures today. I'm going to be in several places. And... Um, 
I'm going to give you two reasons why I'm going to do that. The first reason is, in this passage, Jesus goes to two other places. He talks about two other things from the Old Testament, and that gives me permission to go there. In fact, if I'm a real teacher of the Bible, if I don't go there, I'm doing you a disservice. So I have to go there. I have to go and talk about Jonah and Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. I have to go there, so be prepared for that. And secondly, one of our key qualities here, our key characteristics at New King, is something called depth. We want to go deep in the Scriptures. Why? To deepen your knowledge and understanding of Jesus. And that's what we're going to go and do today. My hope is, is that you will come away from this service not totally confused, maybe a little confused, but seeing Jesus in a deeper, more satisfying, more amazing light. So that's the plan as we look at the end of Matthew 12. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, help me as I attempt to go deep in your word. I pray, Father, that I may be accurate, that I may be, uh, have complete liberty, that you would give me the words to speak, uh, Father, by your Holy Spirit, and prepare those that are here for your word to dwell in their hearts. I pray that they would see Jesus more clearly this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So, if you haven't been here, we have been going through the book of Matthew. Today, we're going to finish up Matthew 12. And when you look at Matthew 12, it may seem to you like it's a string of things that are unconnected, that the gospel writer just kind of strings together, and they don't seem to connect. I want to start by telling you this morning, they do connect. And let me tell you the thread through all of Matthew 12. The thread. It takes work to find it, but when you see it, you'll say, ah, there it is. The thread is the J word, judgment. Judgment. It's all through this chapter. Let me show you briefly. Chapter 12, verse 2. They're eating grain on the Sabbath, and in verse 2, the Pharisees see that, and they judge it. How can you be doing that? It's judgment. That's exactly what it is. Verse 10, is it lawful to eat on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? They're judging him. They're accusing him. They're looking at him. They're trying to find fault with him. Verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Judgment personified. They want to now destroy Jesus. Verse 24, the man is healed. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by, the, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that the man casts out demons. They give their verdict. They give their judgment on God's work. It's judgment. Verse 27, Jesus now begins to take this, this, this thread of judgment and turn it back on themselves. In verse 27, I, I, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. You see what Jesus does? He takes their judgmental spirit and he starts to turn it around. That's the thread. Verse 36, 
on the day of judgment, you will give an account for every word. Judgment. Now in verse 38, they ask for a sign from Jesus. Show us a sign. When you look at Luke's gospel, it was to test him, to try him, so that they could judge him for what he did. Jesus turns it around again. Verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment. Verse 42. The queen of Sheba will rise up in judgment. Do you see? It's a thread through the whole chapter. It connects everything together. And then in verse 50. Jesus gives the final verdict of this chapter. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So we see this whole chapter. The religious leaders come to Jesus with a judgmental spirit and Jesus turns it right back on them over and over. That's the thread. But there's more than meets the eye here. So there's three parts to this section. The request for the sign uh, is there. Um, we'll see that, that there's this return of an unclean spirit, which is like, where did that come from? It fits. And then this whole idea about the family, and that fits as well. And I hope to touch on all three. We got the timer going. Thanks, Dan and Eric. I appreciate that. That's good. We n- we'll need it today. So, The request for a sign, verse 38, and then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So there's a a connection. They answered Jesus. They respond to Jesus. So we see that this section is connected to the previous. And what happened previously? Jesus healed a man of a demon. And they say, you're empowered by the prince of the demons. They blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So this is a, and and Jesus comes down really, really hard on them. Remember Aaron's sermon from last week? Jesus came down really hard. There's no forgiveness for such a sin. And he talked about what that means. So it continues this, this discussion where they're accusing Jesus. And we know that the question for a sign, it seems like, oh, okay, it's a genuine question. It's not. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to judge him. Luke 11 tells us that. They were trying to test Jesus. And remember the obvious. Jesus had been doing sign after sign after sign after sign. He just got done doing one that very day, that very afternoon, that very moment. He had been healing people and driving out demons. So it wasn't a genuine question. There was malice involved. Yeah? Okay, so how does Jesus respond, right? Really interesting. Verse 39. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Why did Jesus respond that way? Why did he use that language? Those specific terms in particular matter. It's not like you're on the the eighth grade 
playground and somebody says, you're dumb, well, you're dumber. It's not that. No, no, no. It's not that. Jesus has something in mind when he responds that way. Yeah? He has something in mind. What is it? This is where we dig into Scripture and we ask, why did Jesus say that? Remember the context. They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit by attributing Jesus' work to the prince of the demons. That's the context. And so when we think about Matthew's gospel, again, Matthew's gospel is a whole. It was written by a man through the power of the Spirit to convey an integrated message to us. Where have we seen this type of thing before? Have we seen it before in Matthew? Yes. Chapter 4. Jesus is taken into the wilderness by whom? By Satan, by the devil, to accuse him, to test him, to try him, to tempt him. Yeah? Matthew 4. And what does Satan use to test Jesus? He says, okay, you're hungry. Take these stones if you're the son of God, if you're the son of man, take these stones and turn them into bread. Show me a sign. If that's, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. We've seen it before. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Remember that? Satan took him up to this high corner, looked out all over the city. Throw yourself down, and the angels will bear you up. That's a sign. So that we see precedence here. That it was Satan that asked for a sign first in Matthew's gospel. And now we see the Pharisees in the middle of talking about demons and demon control and, and who their father is doing the same thing. That's why Jesus says, you are an evil generation. That is evil to the utmost degree. Why adulterous? Evil and adulterous, right? What is behind that? Adultery is a term that's used for someone that's unfaithful to their spouse, right? You're married to somebody, you're unfaithful to them. That's adultery. In this case, the idea in the background that Jesus is pointing us to is that Israel is the bride of Jehovah and called to be faithful to her husband. And so, as you can imagine... Jesus is calling them out for being unfaithful to God. And they're going to pick up on it. They're going to know exactly what he's talking about. So Jesus calls them evil and adulterous. There's a Bible scholar, an Australian fellow by the name of John Nolland, and uh, Nolan has written a commentary about this thick on Matthew. And he's a Greek scholar. And he says that the only place in the Old Testament where evil and adulterous is used together is in a prophet called Hosea, way back in the Old Testament. So these guys, these scribes and Pharisees, what was their job? What did they do for a living? The Old Testament. They were the experts in the Old Testament. It's said that the Pharisees had the whole Old Testament 
memorized. They knew it by heart. And so when Jesus uses this term, evil and adulterous generation, they would have thought, he's talking about Hosea. He's talking about Hosea. Well, what does that mean? What did that mean in their mind? What did that mean in their little pea brains when they heard this? What does it mean in yours? Hosea is one of the most unbelievable, heart-wrenching prophecies of the Old Testament. God comes to Hosea, and he says to him, I want you to go and marry a prostitute a known prostitute. I want you to take her as your wife. I want you to bring, everybody knows she's a prostitute. I want you to marry her. I want you to bring her into your home. I want you to love her and have children with her. And that's what Hosea does. And they start having children. And the last child Hosea names, you know what he names the child? Not mine. What does that mean? It means that Hosea's prostitute wife was committing adultery, and the child that was fathered was not fathered by Hosea. It was fathered by somebody else. So at that point, she runs off, and then God says in chapter 3 of Hosea, you following me? You ready? You hearing this? This is so important. This is so touching. This is so beautiful. God says to Hosea, Go again. Go to the market, to the slave market, and buy her back. Take her back and love her again. Have you ever read that? Have you ever seen that passage? The implication is she has become a prostitute again, and now she's not worth much, so so her current master says, I'm just going to sell her. And so they bring her out to the slave market, and they probably stripped her naked. And she was a woman that had many children. She was, in the day, she was not worth much and used up and a wreck. And there she is, stripped naked. And what does Hosea do? He buys her. He bids for her, and he gets her, and he brings her back into his house, and he says, I will love you again. Why? What's the purpose? Why would God do that? Why would God make him do that? As a prophet, as a true prophet of God, God wanted Hosea to feel exactly what it's like to be God. I want you to walk in my shoes. Well, what were the shoes God walked in? His wife committed adultery. Israel had committed adultery, and that's exactly what's explained in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Go, take her again. Love her again. Love a woman who is evil and adulterous. Why? Because Israel has left me. Because Israel has forsaken me. So that's why the Pharisees and the scribes in Jesus' day would have said, I get what he's talking about, instantly. Instantly. 
behind their request for a sign is lust for another husband. And by the way, who, do you know who was a contemporary of Hosea, this guy, this prophet in the Old Testament? You know who his contemporary was? Some guy named Jonah. Huh. You mean the Bible hangs together? You mean it kind of fits? Yeah, it does. Wow. Okay. So now Jesus responds more. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repeated at the preaching of Noah, Behold, something greater greater than Noah is here. The sign of Jonah is a deeply complex sign. It's not just one thing. We think, oh, it's, it's, it's death and resurrection. Yes, it is. Oh, my word, it is. And it's amazing and gorgeous and beautiful as it shows our Jesus our Savior, dying and being in the grave for three days, yes, but it's more than that. It's deeply complex, and I want to just give you a little overview of what it looks like. So let's turn back in our Bibles to the book of Jonah, just briefly. You probably don't know where it is. I was going to grab a Bible and get the page number for you. It's after Obadiah. It's one of the 12 so-called minor prophets. It's before Micah. So just open to the book of Jonah, and and I'm sure you've read it before. I just want to give you a quick whirlwind tour through the book of Jonah so you know what's going on. So in chapter 1, Jonah is called by God to preach against the wickedness of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It was a Gentile city. It wasn't a Jewish city. It was a Gentile. The word Gentile means ethnos, of the people, not of the Jews, of the ethnos of the world. And Assyria was known for being incredibly violent and brutal. And Jonah doesn't want to go. <laughs> He's like, God, I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to go there. So chapter 1, as you kind of glance down through it, tells a story of what Jonah does. He runs from God, and he goes down and gets in a ship, and he goes out to sea, and what happens? God sends a storm. Remember that? God sends a storm. And the ship is tossed, and the sailors are saying, oh, man, what are we going to do? And they cast lots, and the lots come down to Jonah. It's like, he's the one. And so they rouse Jonah from the bed. Jonah's down there sleeping somehow. I don't know how. Had Dramamine or something like that. I don't know. So they get him out of bed, and he's like, yeah, it's, it's me. And they throw him overboard. Jonah says, throw me overboard. God is judging me. Throw me overboard, and they do. <laughs> and what happens? The storm stops, the wind stops, the sailors and the ship are saved. And what happens to Jonah? Big fish. Look, I know when we hear the, the story of Jonah, we think of the whale, the big fish, whatever you want to call it, and we just dismiss it. 
right? We just say, oh, that's a Sunday school. No, no, it's not just a Sunday school story. The depth in Jonah is unbelievable. So this big fish comes, swallows Jonah right at the end of chapter 1. And now what happens in chapter 2? Jonah is in the big fish. And I picture a kid's cartoon from my day, and Jonah's there, and he builds a little fire, and there's smoke, and he's, he's growing fish. I don't think it was quite that way. We see Jonah chapter 2, and what does Jonah do? He prays. Look, look at it. If you're there, look at verse 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. And it goes on. You cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah is praying. He's talking to God. Look, if you want to know the heart of Jesus on the cross, there's a couple places in the Bible to look. You look at the book of Psalms. Right? Psalm 22, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the heart of Jesus on the cross. You look at Psalm 69, where the psalmist David talks about the waves and billows of judgment going on him. And then you look at Jonah chapter 2. This is the words of Jesus. This is the emotions of Jesus on the cross here. Did you know that? And then chapter 3, the word of the Lord comes a second time, telling Jonah to preach to Nineveh, and Jonah says, all right, I'll do it. And he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches judgment. And what happens? The wicked, violent, brutal Assyrian people, the people of Nineveh, they hear God and they repent. Chapter 4, what happens? Jonah is mad, mad, mad. Why? Why would Jonah be so mad at this? Then the, look, at the, look at the word, uh, the verse. Verse 4 uh, Chapter 4, verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? The first time when I got mad and ran to the ship and, 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 and tried to escape you? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. He preaches the word, God relents. And that made Jonah mad. Why was Jonah mad? Scholars, there's books written on this. People debate it. People aren't sure. I'm sure. And I'm sure the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus was talking to knew exactly what was going on. They knew what, was, what Jesus was getting at when he said the sign of Jonah. Think about it. God raised up this Jewish prophet Jonah. 
He brings him through a miraculous death and resurrection experience. Then the prophet goes and preaches to the Gentiles, and they repent. They turn to God at his word. Are you starting to get the picture? This speaks of something greater, something bigger, something more current in Jesus' day. But there's more. It goes deeper still. Jonah gets mad because he knew exactly why God sent him to the Gentile nation to preach. Do you know? Do you know why he was sent there at that specific time in history? It was because his nation was adulterous. Really? Do you start to see the threads being connected here? This all fits. Way back in the Old Testament, in the days of Moses, I'm just going to turn there briefly. You can. Deuteronomy chapter 32. See, I told you I was going to jump around. It's all connected, my friends. It's all connected. Deuteronomy 32, it's the end of Deuteronomy. It's the end of Moses' life, and Moses sings a song. I'm probably not going to sing a song at the end of my life. I'm telling you that. I can't sing. But Moses sings a song, and he sings about his country, Israel, and about God's goodness. So I'm going to pick it up. Where am I going to pick it up? 32, verses 9 and 10. But the Lord's portion is his people, he sings. Jacob has his allotted heritage. He found Jacob in the desert land, in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. It's talking about God seeing Israel and taking care of Israel. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its youngs, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. And it goes on and talks about God's goodness. Then down in verse 15, But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Jeshurun is a, is a term of endearment for Israel. It's about like my little dumpling. Ben, is that what you call Tiffany? No, okay. Probably a good thing. It's a term of endearment. Listen, it's a term of endearment, and it means my beloved, my beloved. He says, Jezreel grew fat and kicked. She grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Guess what the New Testament calls this rock? You know the answer to that. They, verse 16, they stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons. Connection there, yeah? That were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it. And spurned them because of the provocations of his sons and his daughters. He said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation. Children in whom is no faithfulness. Verse 21. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So, and here's the kicker. Wake up. I know you were sleeping just a little bit. It's okay. 
So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire, fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol. It devours the earth, sets on fire the foundations on the mountains. I will heap disasters on them. Quite a nice song to sing at the end of your life, yeah? What's going on here? Israel was adulterous. God sees it clearly, and he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn to somebody else to make you jealous. You made me jealous. I'm going to make you jealous, and I'm going to send you disasters. That's what's going on there. So, why was Jonah mad? Because he knew the Song of Moses. He knew it. He knew the Song of Moses. He knew that he was going to Nineveh, and it was an indictment, a judgment against Israel because of their adultery. Do you see the threat of, of judgment? God relents. He spares Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. And then what happens in history back in the Old Testament? God took the Assyrian nation, and he used it as a hammer to bring disaster to Israel. Yeah, you know that story? 2 Kings 17, in 722 B.C., Assyria invaded the northern kingdom of Israel, captured it, destroyed it, and deported the Jews to Assyria. And guess who prophesied about that? Hosea. Guess who did it? Jonah. It ties together. So when Jesus refers to the sign of Jonah, he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment against this generation. Do you see the connection? Do you see the picture Jesus is painting? Do you see the complex message of the sign of Jonah? Jesus gives his judgment. This generation is evil and adulterous. The Lord is going to turn to another nation to provoke this generation to jealousy. The Lord is going to use another nation to punish this generation. And so, we read the New Testament, and the gospel goes out to the Jews first, and then the Jews begin to persecute the Christians. The gospel turns to the Gentiles in the book of Acts. The Great Commission begins to get fulfilled to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. And not long after that, who comes to Jerusalem? A.D. 70, Titus and the Roman army come into Jerusalem, and they destroy it. They take away the temple, they take away the kingdom, what's left of it, and they scatter anybody, everybody. <laughs> and this was prophesied by Hosea and Isaiah and others. It's all there. Do you understand what's going on here? Do you understand the day that we live in? Paul understands it. In Romans chapter 11, if you want to understand about the Jews, read Romans 9, 10, and 11. Romans 11, 11 says, So I ask, did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, he says. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. It comes full circle. It comes full circle. 
So the sign of Jonah shows God's sovereign hand working behind the scenes, starting in the book of Deuteronomy, all through the Old Testament, and into the New. The sign of Jonah is much more than a big fish story. But I've got to go on. The Queen of Sheba. We've got to talk about that. We're almost out of time, believe it or not. Queen of Sheba. Oh, one of my favorites, the Queen of Sheba, and I don't have much time to talk about it. So, I've got to find Matthew first. 42, the Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. 1 Kings 10 tells this story. Don't have time to look at it. 2 Chronicles 9 tells the same story. She hears of the wisdom of Solomon. She comes from Ethiopia. She was most likely a queen of color. And she came because she heard about the wisdom of Solomon. And she comes to see it for herself. And when you read 1 Kings 10, there's a most amazing verse. When she heard it all, and Solomon answered all her questions, and she saw the beauty and the happiness of Solomon's kingdom, you know what it says? She lost her breath. It says that specifically. She lost her breath. Her breath was just taken out of her because she was overwhelmed by this man Solomon. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Don't have time to tell you much more than that. It says the queen of the south will rise up in judgment against this generation. Why? Well, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment because she traveled across the world to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Jesus came to Israel. He was sent directly. They didn't have to go anywhere. She came as a skeptic, honestly answering questions, asking questions and seeking answers. They respond to Jesus with traps and snares and threats and violence. The queen of Sheba lost her breath in amazement at the wisdom of Solomon. And do you know what the Jews did? They hung Jesus on a cross and they took his breath away. The unclean spirit, not much time. 43 to 45, what's that doing in there? Jesus is, is, it seems disconnected, but it's completely connected. Jesus is using a little parable, using the spiritual realm to, to explain and to warn. Jesus has come and been driving out demons from the land by the power of the Spirit. They don't just resist the Spirit, but they blaspheme the Spirit. They have their rules and regulations to clean up their lives, and they think they're righteous. But Jesus says, you're empty. You haven't filled yourself with me. You're not filled with the person and teaching with Jesus. And nature abhors a vacuum. So what happens? You're empty. Seven demons are going to come back, and they're going to fill you, and the end is worse than the beginning. Why? Why? What do we know about Satan? Here's three things. He's the accuser. He accuses Christians, the brothers and sisters. He accuses what were the scribes and Pharisees doing? Accusing. The, wor- the work of Satan. What else do we know? He was a liar. They fabricated lies against Jesus. They were doing the work of Satan. 
What else? Satan was a murderer from the beginning. And what do we see? They were doing the work of Satan. So that's why that section is in there. It all fits in. Now the last part. I, I gotta, while he was still speaking to his people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak. He replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here. Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my mother and sister and mother. How does that fit? When there's adultery in the family, it breaks the marriage bond and the family is turned on its head. You see the fit? You see how it fits? Jesus has been calling them an adulterous generation and he returns with his verdict about the family. He redefines the family. The Jews, all they cared about was bloodlines. All they cared about was what tribe they were from. That's all they cared about. Their whole being, who they were, was defined upon their blood relations. I don't have time to tell you about that. You have to believe me on that. Jesus said, it's not the blood relations that matter. It's your relationship to me. It's your relationship to me. Whoever does the will of God is brought into the family of Jesus, the family of God. What do we do with all this? What do we conclude? From Moses to Solomon to Jonah to Hosea on into the New Testament, it's all about Jesus. Believe me, it's all about Jesus. In the New Testament, Jesus assumes the role of every major Old Testament leader and institution with this main difference. Jesus is greater. So, in the Old Testament, they were the three most important leadership roles were prophet, priest, and king. You want to talk prophets? Let's start with Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You want to talk kings? Let's start with Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. You want to talk priests? Where's that? Matthew 12, 6. Behold, something greater than the temple is here. Prophet, priest, and king. Jesus fulfills them all and is greater than them all. And yet this God-man, this one that is greater than them all, that fulfills and surpasses all the characteristics and types of the Old Testament, he invites you this very day, this very moment, this very hour to do the Father's will and to be brought into his family. What is the Father's will? I close with one verse from John's Gospel. For this is the will of the Father. John 6.40. This is the will of the Father. Can't be clearer than that. What is the will of the Father? This is the will of the Father. You know what it is? That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up the last day. I hope this morning you've looked to the Son. I hope you've seen Him in a different light as He that fulfills all the Old Testament 
prophets, all the Old Testament kings, all the Old Testament leaders, and he does it greater. Do God's will. Believe in him and become his brother, his mother. You see that Jesus added in his sister? I could talk about some gender stuff there, but it's just, just we'll leave that for another time. He adds in the sister. Oh, what a savior we have. Do God's will. Believe. Believe in the son and you will have eternal life. Father God, thank you for this portion. Thank you for your word, which absolutely blows me away in all its detail and how it all hangs together. I pray, Father, that if there's someone here that doesn't see Jesus, that this morning they will see him clearly and believe in him and have eternal life. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.